This is the Laravel News Podcast, your one-stop podcast to find out about Laravel-related news, tutorials, packages, and more. Here are your hosts, Jake Bennett and Michael Dorenda. Everyone, thanks so much for tuning in. Welcome back to the Laravel News Podcast. This is episode 65. Joining me from the wonderful land of Australia is my amazing co-host and new dad, Mr. Michael Dorinda. Michael, welcome to the show. Hello, hello. (laughs) Welcome to the show. This is your show now, is it? No, no, it's not. Oh, my word. It's neither of our show pretty soon if we don't keep up with our podcast, right? right. I mean, what? Yeah, this week has been We do have good excuses. Yeah, we do have good excuses, I suppose. But tell me about tell me about uh, what's going on in the, in the life of your new little guy, Eli. Eli is doing really, really well. We had the the child and family health service. They come and they they basically check up on you when you have a newborn. Um, it's a, like That's a nice. government government slash community thing. They'll come out within the first few weeks and just make sure that you're settling okay and make sure that everything's going well you don't have any issues, the baby's healthy and all that. They measure them, um, you know, check their weight, check their length, check their head circumference and all that kind of stuff and just talk through different bits and pieces about, you know, safe sleeping and breastfeeding and any concerns that you have. But since since we brought him home, he's put on half a kilo, so probably about one pound, give or take, um, in terms of, of measurement, which is good. Uh, grew three centimeters in length, one centimeter around the head. So he's doing really well. We're healthy baby boy. Very healthy. Yeah, his jaundice has has sort of gone away now as well, which is which is good. So he's not looking yellow. Um, he's sleeping reasonably well most of the time. We get a couple of hours at a time, which is nice. You know, if you have a couple of hours, then it's enough to sort of keep you topped Make up in through. terms of yeah, yeah energy. Exactly. It gets a bit harder. We had one one little stint last night of about 40 minutes, but luckily he went back to sleep pretty quickly and we got a couple of hours out of him. So I think the longest we've had is about four hours in one go, which is that's great. Pretty, yeah. pretty good. Yeah, pretty good for a newborn. Um, I'm still working on that with my three-year-old. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, Matt, Matt Stalfer had horror stories for like two years oh, with yeah. both of his kids and they overlapped. Yeah. So. We're um, we're very grateful. We hope that it continues and that he gets to you know sort of sleeping through, which I only found out. And um, you know, there's there's so much stuff that they don't tell you. Like they tell you about all the scary stuff and all of like the normal things, but things like babies grunting and groaning and like just making all these noises when they sleep is not something they tell you about. And we will sit there some nights and we swear he's been possessed or something because the sounds that come out of his <laughs> mouth are just they're scary, Inhuman. honestly. Yeah, they're not oh, normal. That's hilarious. So, you know, these are know. things that I don't really tell you about until you experience yeah. it. And then you're like, oh, you know, is he okay? Is he having trouble breathing? And then you ask, you know, we saw the pediatrician and he's like, oh, no, that's totally normal. And especially for preemie babies, they're actually noisier than then full-term babies as well. So something to look forward to. Yeah. Did you see that picture of Adam Wathen's little girl in the baby yes. monitor? Yes, I did. And he, said, <laughs> send, he said, send holy water. Yeah. She looked like she was possessed. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty amazing. Yep. Yeah, they can be scary, like for the small stature, but they can be little scary things. So. Yeah. yeah. And I've just anyway, got, yeah, I've so, got to deal with this guy. Like he's working on his Glasgow kiss and he's, punching me in the throat all the time which is fun because i sit there and i'm sort of like <laughs> as he's got a little <laughs> fist in my throat so oh my word yeah he's looking good i got a little bit of a sneak peek 
Reed brought him in and I got to take a look at him. So he's he's amazing, looking great. Yeah. Well, it is 12.30 here in the U.S., about 2.30 your time there. So we're going to get into this thing and we are going to try and produce some quality content for you here. <laughs> We'll see how it goes. Um, well, the first thing that's on our list is actually uh, the Titan site called Built with Jigsaw. I think that was the very first thing we wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. It kind of fell off the end of our list here, but I wanted to include it because I actually just built my first site in Jigsaw. Nice. Um, so if you don't know what Jigsaw is, quick recap. It is basically a static site generator, but it uses Laravel's blade syntax to give you a really familiar feeling uh, when you're when you're building out these pages. So all of the things that you can use in, in Laravel Blade, you can use in the static site generator, which again, makes it just feel like uh, you're at home, you know, if you're a Laravel dev. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I actually had a blog that was previously hosted on Ghost, but I it was like I was in the $5 a month, like grandfathered in plan, and I was yeah. happy to pay that for forever, you know. We changed banks and uh. totally forgot to change that over. And so it lapsed and then it was like, oh, Oops, your your you know your thing didn't get paid. Yeah. So I I messaged them was like, oh hey, here's my new account for you know like, and they said, oh no, you can't re up, like you can't do that. It expired yeah. now. It's eighty dollars a month. I'm like, what? Yeah, eighty dollars a month. So anyway, I was like, all right, perfect opportunity to use Jigsaw. So I'm using yeah. it on Jigsaw and GitHub Pages, and so it's hosted for free, which is which is pretty awesome. So yeah. Uh, anyway, there's lots of uh, of sites out there that have been built with Jigsaw, and so you can find those now at builtwithjigsaw.com. So yeah, it's pretty nice. I had a couple contributions I'm planning on making to the uh, repo just as far as getting it set up on GitHub pages. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a couple of things that I ran into that were just a little bit tricky. Not too bad. Not too bad. But if you're going to do it, I would suggest using Netlify, actually, yeah. which would be a lot easier. Yeah, uh, I always have I always have issues because you have to have that separate like GH dash pages branch. And especially if yep. I edit the site on two different machines, I always seem to break the the push to that branch and you know the way that you have to build and then push to it so a lot of the time i just end up deleting that branch and recreating it on github and right but but i mean yeah um netlify is something that wes boz has been talking about a lot on his podcast on syntax fm and adam wathen i think moved tailwind css docs to netlify as well so might be worth a look in just you know just for something to play around with in all of my abundant free time at the moment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was talking to Adam actually about it for that exact reason. I was like, hey, you originally built Jigsaw. Like, what did you use to deploy this? And he's like, dude, just use Netlify. It's way easier. Yeah. And so he showed me his little tiny config for getting it deployed. And I was like, that does look easier. So yeah, if you're going to use Jigsaw, I would suggest using Netlify. It makes it really, really simple. So yep. anyway, anyway, maybe I'll try and add that into the docs there as well. Okay. That being said, uh, we have one, actually two updates. Laravel 5.6.25 and 2.6 got released since the last time we've talked. We've got a lot of packages. Um, we should just call this the Marcel Possier episode because <laughs> I think he's honestly at least half the list yeah. uh, things that Marcel is doing. So it's insane uh, what this man is up to. So but, it's um, amazing what kind of contributions people come because I'm, I'm reasonably sure that he started his own company fairly recently. And so... He's contracting and things like that. And he seems to have found himself quite a bit of time, you know, the last month or so just to put all all these really useful packages together, all of these like testing utilities and things like that, which we will get to later in the episode. 
but uh, we'll, we'll get through yeah. these updates first, I reckon. I can't even imagine that this all happened in the last month. I feel like these have all been things that have had to be ha- like worked on previously that he just released yeah. this month yeah. or something. I don't know. It's insane. Anyway, let's talk about 5.6.25 and 2.6. Okay, so it looks like 6.26 was released 20th of June. Uh, so we're a ways behind here on this one. But there's a couple things of note here. It looks like there is a way now to pass the recipient name of a, of a person that you're sending an email to and mail notifications. We have table names that are now being passed in post-migration create hooks. Uh, and then you can now use arrays and collections in the auth attempt. So we're going to talk uh, in the auth attempt method. So we're going to talk through those really quickly here and try and give you a decent overview of what those look like. Uh, the recipient name and mail notifications. Let's talk about this real quick. So um, Michael explained to me kind of like the benefit of this one. Yeah. So the, I mean, the main benefit of this is when you are sending your mail notifications up until this change was introduced, you would just specify like a two email address and that that would be it. So they, you know, you would get it to your recipient obviously, but it looks a bit, a bit lazy, I guess, or a bit unprofessional when it's just email going to a bare email address. So with this this pull request basically lets you send the name as well as the email address. So you get that nice like Jacob Bennett and then in arrows the email address rather than just the email address. Uh, it's a small thing yeah. uh, and you just pop it into your mailable in the route notification for mail. So you can specify an array of either just email address strings or key value pair of email arrow name and that'll that'll send the email to obviously the the more nicely formatted string of both the name and the email address yeah it's just like a personalization thing right it's kind of like in the uh, body of your email instead of saying hello customer comma whatever right yeah. and it's like hello michael comma sort of thing it's yep. just an additional little piece of, of customization that makes it feel a little bit nicer mm-hmm. yeah so we then got this post migration table name in callbacks so you now have the ability to after you run a migration you can then have an after hook so after create is is uh, done so the table name will get passed to you so you can kind of have this in your i suppose you probably have this in a service provider of some sort huh yeah, probably in the service provider. I mean, you might even be able to do it directly in the migration itself. Oh, that's I mean, good, I guess yeah, if it was in point. the migration, well, maybe not because this is more of a generic thing. So if you wanted to do something with a table after it was created, I'm not sure a specific use case for it. If you, if you wanted to reach out to us on Twitter uh, and let us know. That would be cool. Mm-hmm. So, so basically, it's like an event that's listening here. So you have the app. Uh, you say app migration creator, and then after create, and then you pass a closure, and it will send through to that closure the table name that was just created. Mm. Uh, so if there was, for, like you said, if there was some reason that you wanted to do something after a uh, table was migrated or after that table was created, then you could go ahead and, and use this. So that's kind of yeah. cool. I mean, you might have. The, I'm just looking at the tests that were included with this pull request, and you might have some code on the on the file system maybe and you wanted to run some update queries from a file you know you could call that file update or add table name dot sql or something like that and you could then call those queries directly from your migrations in a more automated fashion so you know if you're standardizing on that kind of thing Uh, but if you've got any other examples we'd uh, we'd love to hear them awesome 
Okay, so now we've got uh, allowing arrays and collections in auth attempt. So auth attempt, essentially it's like auth colon colon attempt, and then you pass in an array of values. So the most typical thing that you would pass in here would be email and then the email that they are sending through and then password and then the password that they're sending through. And Laravel is going to go check the database to see if you have any records in your user table or whatever table you've specified in your auth.php config file. Mm -hmm. It's going to go check in that table to see if those values exist in there, right? You can, however, have additional filters. So you can say like in this specific example that it's giving here is it says it has an email provided, it has a password provided, then it has uh, the active flag must be set to yes. And then one additional thing is they have like user type equals and then what they're doing here is they're saying it must be uh, the user type that we're trying to authenticate must be a user that is of type one, two, or three. Okay. And so previously this did not work. You couldn't, you couldn't do this. It would just take the first value and kind of use that as the filter that you were doing. So it adds like a where clause into your SQL query, uh, but it would only allow you to do the first one. So now it will allow you to pass in an array as one of those um, filters essentially. And it will, in your SQL, it will turn that into a where in statement. That's a little bit complicated to explain on the air, but basically what it does is it gives you a little more power in your auth attempt uh, to be able to do additional filtering in that in that kind of in that check. Yeah. So so that's five six two six. So we're going a little bit backwards here. So we're going to go back to five six two five. Michael, talk to us about where JSON contains and what that means here. Yeah. So where JSON contains is a function on the query builder. This has now been updated to support SQL Server 2016 plus grammar. So while MySQL and Postgres expect the binding as a JSON string, SQL Server requires the raw value. And so this basically accounts for that so that we've got parity and functionality across all of the supported database engines. Whilst, whilst we're on the topic of, of databases, there's also the model unset relation method, which allows you to unset a model relationship. So if you have loaded a post and you've eager loaded the post author or the user, I, I don't have any specific use cases myself, but if you are using packages that, that want to make some change to a loaded relationship, you can now call the unset relation and call that with the specific relation that you want to unset and perhaps reload because I believe if you call load on a relationship that's already loaded, it will ignore it, which means that you won't get anything back from the database for that okay. relationship. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that so makes sense. This is just a little bit of uh, functionality there that if you were for whatever reason making changes there, that you can do so using the unset relationship uh, unset relation method on the model. Very cool. Yeah, there's also this new one for auth which is called has user it's a has user method um so there's a pretty interesting kind of example here maybe you could talk about this a little bit as well michael yeah so if you were to use the auth check method this delegates internally to auth user and if you don't have a user set on your model uh, or sorry if, even if you do have the user set in your session it will still hit the database potentially uh, or query make a http request if you're using a third-party provider in order to load the user so on this auth facade now, we've got the has user method, which will check against the the gate itself or the guard itself to determine whether or not the user already exists. So if you were to iterate over your users to determine, you know, some some flag is set, instead of hitting the database for each one, we'll hit it on the first time and then just delegate to determine whether or not that user already exists for any subsequent lookups. So it means that you're you know, it's, it's kind of looking to combat that N plus one issue that we have, you know, with eager loading and things like that. Yeah. 
And sometimes you'll see this as well. If you're using something like Laravel debug bar, you'll go look at the queries and you'll see a couple of times like uh, select uh, one from or select from users where ID equals one, right? You'll kind of see this query hit like a couple of times or whatever. Yeah. And that can be a lot of times if you're doing like auth check or or whatever. And so if you do auth has user instead, it'll it'll eliminate that query essentially. Yeah. Um, so the one that they have here, kind of the example they have is get liked attribute. So this is, this would be a, uh, what's, what's it going to be? An accessor, mm-hmm. I think on a, uh, on a model, on an eloquent model. So it's like a dynamically added attribute, right? It's like a computed property essentially. And so um, since that's the case, they're using has user here, which will prevent it from having to hit the database to ter- determine if the user is already authenticated, but it essentially has the same same effect, right? Yeah. So there's that. So that's kind of, that's pretty much everything. That's 5625-5626. There is one other thing there. Okay. There is on the... On the test response class in your test, there is now an assert okay method, which is just syntactic sugar over the assert status two hundred. So, I've, I swear I've, we had this before. I'm sure we had I it. Yeah, it may this. have existed. It may have existed before, and then when when all the testing functionality was rewritten and stuff was moved out into browser kit, it may have been lost. So, again, this okay. is just syntactic sugar. So instead of calling assert status two hundred, you can just call assert okay, and it will run that check under the hood for you. It's Makes just sense, a little yeah. bit more clarity in what your test is actually doing. Cool. Okay. Sounds good. Um, we've got a couple here that we want to go over. We've we've looked at all of these previous to the show starting, and some of these are are just like they're more like high level. We're going to notify you that they exist and that they're out there. Um, they may not be, let's see, what's the word? Not interesting, but they may not be useful to everyone. So we're going to try and not go super in depth with them, but they are mm-hmm. definitely worth mentioning, especially because uh, there's some amazing community members out there who have who have really taken a lot of time to put these out there. And uh, for people who need them, they're going to be extremely useful. So let's start with Puppeteer. So this is, it's it's if you've heard of Puppeteer before, Essentially, what it is, is it's a node API that allows you to interface with headless Chrome or Chromium, right? And so what this is, is essentially it's a bridge for PHP to be able to talk to the node API of Puppeteer, which then talks to the Chrome headless browser, right? So this essentially is is like a little library. It's like an adapter, right? That will allow you to use PHP to talk to Puppeteer. Uh, So if that's something that you would need to do to be able to control a Chrome headless browser or an instance of a Chrome browser, now you can do that through PHP instead of having to do it through Node. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it'd make it maybe a little bit more comfortable for you. You can find that out there. Let's see how, first of all, it's Johan Pardanaud. Pardanaud? Pardonaud? Johan. <laughs> Johan it is. <laughs> looking at, I'm looking at his GitHub account. Ah, okay. So cool, anyway, cool, cool. Uh, a wonderful individual named Johan made this for us. So requires PHP 7.1 and Node uh, 8. So if you are interested in uh, being able to control a headless Chrome browser using PHP, go ahead and check that out. It's Puppeteer spelled P-U-P-H-P a tier. There you go. Puppeteer yeah. bridge for PHP. There you go. Okay. What's up next, Michael? Jake, do you use GitHub Desktop at all? I don't. I never do. In fact, I have a coworker who uses it, and it's very confusing to me. I don't understand it. That um, sounds very unlike there, you. I, know, I thought I, you were all about. <laughs> I thought you were all about the GUI. Well, you know, like sometimes it's super useful, but I don't use I don't use GitHub Desktop. I always found it confusing, to be honest. Okay. It was it was always confusing for me, like with the way that 
it, it managed like your branches and stuff. I don't know. Maybe I need to give it another try. One that actually works really well for me that I use sometimes if I do need to jump into the GUI is Source Tree, Atlassian Source Tree. That's really nice. That's what I use. But nice. I don't use GitHub Desktop very often. No. Well, for those of us night owls, there is now a native dark mode, which you can enable from version 1.2.4. Uh, of the GitHub desktop client. And that will just give you, uh, as the name implies, a little little dark mode for the application. I don't, I've, I've got it installed. I don't use it extensively, but sometimes it's handy to visualize changes, yeah, especially yeah. if you've seen Adam Wadden's streams where he's building sponsorship and things like that. It's, it's handy if you've got a whole bunch of changes over a period of time and you want to just pick which ones you actually want to commit to do, you know, bite-sized chunks or to, yeah, to yeah. basically group some commits together. I mean, you can do it on the command line using git add dash dash patch or git add dash p. So uh, it's entirely up to you. On, on the topic of GitHub desktop, however, I stumbled upon this. Uh, it's a Python package that you can install, which then allows you to install its functionality as aliases for Git. So you can call all of these different functions using the Git command on the command line. It's called legit and it is a complementary command line interface for Git optimized for workflow simplicity and it is heavily inspired by GitHub for Mac. So it adds six different functions or six different aliases. It's got a switch, a sync, a publish, an unpublish, a branches and an undo. So basically you install this using the pip which is Python's version of Composer I suppose. Pip install legit and then you can legit let git install and that'll install the aliases for you so switch as the as the name suggests allows you to just switch between branches and what it will do is if you've got any unstaged changes it will actually stash them switch to the new branch and then restore those changes so that you can continue working it's got git sync which will synchronize your current branch and does an auto merge rebase and stash unstash one thing that i found out with this is that it will sync your local branch to match the remote. So what actually happened to me is it deleted my .env file, it deleted my vendor directory and my node modules directory. But this was obviously in in my development environment. So not too big a deal, but something to be mindful of. Um, There's also git publish and git unpublish, which will uh, do a git push origin or a git push colon, uh, git push origin colon. So it will delete the branch from the remote server if you're not ready to have it up there or if you pushed it up by accident or, or whatever. But then there's also Git branches. So for those of you that use the, the command line, if you do a Git branch, it will show you your local branches by default. If you do Git branch dash dash remote, it will show you the, the remote branches. So what Git branches does is it gives you colorized output and it will show you all of the local and the remote ones and it will tell you if they have been published or not. So it's it's easy to see all of the branches in, in one go and then Git undo, which will basically remove the last commit from, from your history. So it does a soft undo by default so it will just roll back and you'll have those changes uh, you can optionally pass the dash dash hard to it which will remove and and unstage those changes as well so yeah that's nice uh, just something uh, yeah I, i've i've been using it a little bit as i said that sync kind of tripped me up initially but the switch the the publish and the branches i use quite a lot nice yeah i uh i use something on the command line as well but it actually doesn't kind of automate those common workflows that you're talking about right there mm-hmm. it more mm, it mm, it more interfaces with like github instead of just like 
you know, Git as as per se, kind of like what you're talking about. Yeah. But speaking of GitHub, um, Paul Redmond, everyone's favorite human, put out an article on June 27th called GitHub Tips and Tricks. And it kind of goes through, I'm not even sure how there are, how many there are, maybe like eight or 10. Yeah, there's um, a few. About all kind of the favorite tips that he has for interacting with for GitHub. There's a there's a couple that I knew, a couple I did not know. Let me highlight some of my favorites here. I think the the keyboard shortcuts, one that I use all the time, all the time, is T. Uh, mm-hmm. And so if you are in a repo and you're in the code view and you press T, it will allow you to do a fuzzy search across the uh, entire code base for file names. So I use that literally every day. And I'm yeah. not saying that literally as in, as in well, figuratively. I mean that literally. I mean that <laughs> literally. Yes, I literally use this every single day. Nice. Um, the other thing he mentions, though, is this Hub CLI tool. So this is kind of like a, a um, command line tool built by GitHub. So it's supposed to kind of pour over a lot of the behavior and the abilities of GitHub Desktop to your command line. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go through all of it here because it's all listed in the, in the article, but um, you can check it out on hub.github.com. Com. And so it's, again, it's a CLI tool that allows you to do like pull requests straight from your CLI. Mm-hmm. So it's, it looks pretty neat. looks pretty neat. Yeah. And that actually is kind of what my tool that I was talking about does as well. It's called Node.gh. Yep. That's the one I've used. So I won't go into all the detail here. We'll put it in the show notes. And if you're interested in the yeah another tool for your CLI, you can check that out. Node.gh. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about, let's start the Mar- Marcel Possier uh, story here. All right. So let's start with Laravel test tools and Dusk support. Uh, Michael, talk to us about this a little bit. Yeah. So Laravel test tools is a Google Chrome extension that you can install. And what it will do is it will pull up your inspector, I suppose, and it will record your actions in the browser and write tests for you. So rather than sitting there and typing all these things out, you can basically click into your UI, type some text and and go from there. So the the functionality that has been added by Marcel recently is integration with Laravel Dusk. So it will actually write Dusk, you know, test assertions for you. So it'll do, if you open up a login form in and click on uh, the email address, so it'll go this visit slash login, this type in the email field, the email address, and then what you've typed in there, this type, password, this click login, this see, you know, these credentials do not, do not match our records. So it's just a shortcut and it's a visual way of doing it. So if you've ever used Selenium in the past, which allowed you to basically pop open a browser and record your steps, this is doing the same thing and then presenting you with a Dusk test that you can then copy and paste into uh, your your editor, into your browser test and then commit to your repository. Yeah, so really, really cool and a huge time saver, huge, huge time saver. This is really, you know, so Dusk is, I say this, I want to be careful because there may be people who are using it in this way, but I feel like Dusk is more like a after the fact test. It's not like a TDD sort of thing, right? You're not mm-hmm. going to like set up your Laravel Dusk tests and then make, you know, make the code pass kind of thing. It's more like, yeah. okay, I've got an interface. I want to make sure that this is working. And yep. so, uh, you know, it's like regret, it's, it's to help you for having like regressions yeah. uh, in your code. So, you know, I want to make sure that all of my, all of these pages come back with 200 so that I can fill out every form that I have available. You go mm-hmm. through, do that once, and now you have Dusk tests that support that to say, yep, in fact, when yeah. you go to ship your code, you can run those tests and make sure everything comes back. So this makes that process way faster, yeah. way, way faster. That is certainly um, how I use Dusk. Yeah. Um, yeah that that well. I will build out all of my UI and then I will go and make sure that 
in any changes that I make going forward, all of this this functionality still works as I've made changes. And that's helped me to pick up, you know, typos in my view components. It's helped me yes, pick up absolutely. like some broken functionality and things like that. So yeah, I as you say, I think it's a good way for managing regression. It's it's more around visual testing and it's much simpler. I don't I mean, I don't know in terms of uh, completion or you know coverage wise how much better it is than than using something like jest or cypress or something like that that's specifically for testing the javascript components themselves but in terms of of verifying your your user experience in the browser i think it's a really good tool absolutely all right we're going to skip over a couple of these in code to the next marcel Posier thing we're just going to hit all the marcel Posier stuff right off the bat here uh the next thing i want to talk about is learning laravel forge so hopefully if you're listening to this podcast you know what forge is laravel forge is a, a service that is created by taylor otwell that allows you to provision servers easily and uh, that are pretty much like custom built for a laravel application or i think there's also wordpress ones or whatever mm-hmm. so it allows you to really quickly get up and running without having to know how to provision a provision server. So that being said, if you are sort of new to that or you want to level up your level forge skills, Marcel Postier has now put out a new course which is on Laracasts. So I think this is only like maybe the third author that they've had on Laracasts, right? Mm-hmm. So there's Jeffrey, Taylor's been on there, and now Marcel. Yep. I don't know if there's been any other guests. Maybe Adam. Not maybe, to my knowledge, yeah. Okay. No, no, I don't think so. Yeah. So anyway, there's a bunch of topics covered in the course. Looks like there's how many videos? I think there's 15 to 20 or so. So yeah, it looks like about 20. So um, it looks like it's pretty comprehensive. So it goes all the way from getting started to managing databases, to using daemons, to managing your environment files, to doing uh, load balancers, all sorts of stuff. Uh, Pretty much everything that you can do, including using the Forge API, anything you can do in Forge, he goes through. So it's a pretty exhaustive list. So I mean, Forge is an amazing, amazing service. And if you're not using it already, you definitely should be. And this is, I believe, is it a free course? I think it is, yeah. Okay, yeah, 20 videos, over 20 videos. So you should definitely check that out. I think you said you got through it in a couple hours. So great thing to take a look at. Yeah, yeah, and it, and it is it is a free free course. So there even you if you're not Thank a Laracast you, subscriber and, uh, and, and you're potentially considering looking at using Laravel Forge, definitely check the videos out. Link will be in the show notes. Yeah. All right, Michael, talk to us about this Laravel self-diagnosis package while I go get my uh, other set of headphones because my sure. AirPods are dying. <laughs> <laughs> so Laravel self-diagnosis is another package by Marcel Posiot that performs self-diagnostics on your application. And it will do all kinds of different things like checking that your app key is set, making sure that your composer dependency is up to date, that you've got the correct PHP version and extensions that you can you know, connect to a database, that the, the appropriate directories are writable, does your NV file exist, all of this kind of stuff, it will go through and and ensure exists. And you can even build your own custom checks by implementing a check interface. So you can do other kinds of testing as necessary by your application. Ooh, that's um, cool. I didn't realize that. Yeah, so this is really useful. One thing that that I had said to Marcel when when he'd initially tweeted that he was working on this package is that I constantly forget to put variables in my env file. So as long as they're in your .env.example file, this will, I believe, actually check that all the all the variables that are in your env.example file also exist in your env file. So it's really 
good to run as a as a post deployment check in your production environment before you you know before you install an application for the first time and and certainly that env check is useful going going forward in terms of you know on on new deployments when you add new features or new new variables in there so definitely something worth checking out just a, a composer install away that's another one of those things that i would not at all be surprised to see get pulled into core mm. you know what i mean like another one of those packages it's just so useful and so helpful and adds so little weight that it would just make sense to be yeah. able to have that straight in core i can see that happening Okay, let's talk about, let's see here, what else do we have? The Laravel Entity Relationship Diagram Generator. There was so, one more package from Marcel. Um, well, this is one of them. This is this is another one. Is this one as well? Oh, this my. is. That's wow. what I'm saying, man. It's so many packages. I didn't, I didn't even realize that, yeah. that this was one of them as well. Yep. So the Laravel Entity Relation Diagram Generator. So this is, again, a package by Marcel Possier that lets you generate entity relationship diagrams by inspecting the relationships defined in your model classes. And it produces an image of this using GraphViz. So this is something that would be really helpful, especially for people who are just coming onto the team or heck for yourself. If you have a rather complex domain, or if you're hoping to model for a talk or a presentation or something like that, you want mm -hmm. to represent a small piece of the application and just have a visual representation of that, this package allows you to just install it, run the command, which is PHP Artisan generate colon ERD, that you can then specify the output file, what sort of format you want it in and everything. And it just generates an app, your application's visual model graph. It's quite amazing uh, that it can do that. And so there's a tweet out there that he's shown that that does a really good job of illustrating it. Uh, they're quite beautiful, really, honestly, yeah. when you when you look at them. So this is this is incredible. It's really amazing, and I'm excited to try this out on some of our applications. I'm looking, excited to see if any of my applications will break it. So that should be yeah. fun. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, one thing that I noticed when I was reading through the comments on on the announcement tweet is that you could even set this up as a route in your application. Oh, that's run, a good idea. run artisan call generate ERD, get the image file and then spit that out directly to the browser. And you could do, you know, just have that running in, in the background as well while you're, you know, while your application's running, while you're doing your testing, just as a point of reference, like you could just hit that route and it will generate the ERD for you. And yeah, just present in the in the browser as an image, which should be kind of cool. That's a really interesting idea. It would do like if you did like an NPM run hot, if you just had that open in another tab or something, mm. and you could just it would just refresh it as you were as you were uh, making your changes. That'd be pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, awesome. Okay, let's see what else do we have from him. I think oh, we have the dump server as well. Yep, Laravel dump server. So this is another one. I'll, I'll let you take this one. Yeah, so Laravel dump server brings in uh, it's a Symphony component called Vardump server and it's it's essentially a wrapper over that and giving us the functionality in Laravel. So for those of us, I, I know myself, I think Jake, we talked about this before, you've, you've been in the situation as well where your application might have a, a view component, for example, that hits a, an endpoint in your application. So an API or a JSON API endpoint and returns some data, but for, for whatever reason, it's not giving you back what you expected or you're not processing the right properties from that return JSON. And so you'd put a DD into that route to see what it's coming back with. Yep. And the only place to inspect that is in the console, in the in the HTTP request response. And the problem with that is that once you DD, 
it doesn't return the JSON and the rest of your page breaks. So you, you can kind of only test one thing at a time. So what this Laravel dump server does, or, or indeed the Symfony var dump server does, is it will spin up a little listening application in your console, so in your terminal, and you can it will then hook into DD. And so when you run DD, it will send the DD output to the console and continue rendering the page in the browser as though the DD wasn't called. So you can Which see everything so that was in the response. Amazing. Right. So, you know, you can see everything that was in the response. You can see the visual representation and it should make it a little bit easier to determine what's actually happened. So Paul Redman, who wrote about this and we'll link it up in the show notes, of course, submitted a pull request to be able to spit this out as HTML as well. So like what what we described with the entity relationship diagram, you could have a, a route in your application that you could hit and and reload as this data comes out so that you can see it in the browser as well side by side with your application now this particular package marcel submitted a pull request and this will be coming in laravel 5.7 so it'll be a a dev dependency so obviously you're not going to run this in production Uh, i mean you can if you want to but out of the box it'll be a dev dependency so it'll be really useful uh, in those situations that i mentioned and i'm sure other situations as well but really helpful if you're trying to diagnose some issues with your API endpoints in your application. Yeah. So I I mean again, just like one of those things. It's it's going to be an incredible tool to use this. I'm really excited to try this out. So now the nice thing is you don't have to wait. Like you can include it right now. So yeah. You can pull it in and and be all set. So I think. Can you? Yeah. 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 Yep. Yep. PHP artist. Yep. There we go. So pretty awesome. So Marcel, thank you, thank you, thank you. Big shout out to Mar- uh, Marcel Possier uh, for putting all that stuff out there. And as a thank you to Marcel, he's got some products that he's got out there. Uh, he's got some bot. He's got Botman, Botman, which and, I think and has, building has, chatbots as well. I think is uh, is another thing. So it's a whole supporting video course, and there's some book literature as well that you can check out so we'll have links to to both of those in the show notes yeah so go buy some stuff go buy some of his stuff and support an amazing developer who's doing a lot to give back to the community thanks marcel really appreciate it man all right let's kind of jump back down a little bit here uh and hit the things that we did not hit earlier so let's talk about eventy just real quick i want to talk Mm -hmm. about this so uh if you are a wordpress developer and you are coming to laravel or you're coming from laravel and going to wordpress and you're finding that you feel like there's missing a couple of things. So in WordPress, you have uh, things like actions and filters. These are a lot of times used when you're like doing some sort of templating and allows you to customize WordPress themes essentially without modifying the template, for example. Mm-hmm. So for example, you could your users could tap into the title tag uh, to modify the way that the title tags work without modifying a particular template. So uh, this idea of actions and filters in WordPress, uh, there's been a package created by uh, Tor Morton Jensen that brings these WordPress style actions and filters to Laravel applications. I'm not going to go too much into it because I'm going to assume if you know what those are, you understand what I'm talking about, but we'll suffice to say that it's going to be in the show notes. There's an article out there on Laravel news and you can pull that in through composer, of course. So that's out there. If something, if that's something you're interested, you can go check that out. Yeah. Um, let's see what else let's do. You want to, did you want to talk about that flexible Axios clients? Uh, this is again, one of those ones we could probably hit at that kind of a high level. Talk about what Paul posted yeah. there. Yeah. We'll have to do this at a high level because it's quite code heavy, but it is. Yeah. If, uh, for those of you that have, that, you know, we talked about the dump server and we talked about making API requests from view components and things like that. If you're using something like Axios, it makes things really easy 
but we can always add a level of abstraction to these things to make them even easier. So what Paul has written about and what Paul has actually built himself is a, is a flexible, basically, API client that sits on top of Axios and gives you a really quick and easy interface in order to access your, your endpoints using this, this wrapper. So basically, instead of doing the whole you know, axios.get and then handling the responses every single time, you can use this API client to basically go client.get or delete or head or options or post or put or patch, pass it the, the string URL that you want to hit. So say you wanted to get a list of users, you go client.get slash users and then handle the response, which is a, which is a promise. So you can go dot then, get the response back and handle the, the JSON response from there and do whatever you need to do, whether it's to populate a, a filterable table or, or whatever in your, in your front-end application. So, you know, you can build API clients that, you know, you'd have a user API client, which you could return all the users, and then you can just call that API-specific client or the user-specific API client to get, you know, users.all, users.find a specific user ID. And then this all basically comes down to a, a nice, simple, and fluent API. But there's also examples on on using Vuex and things like that. If you you know if you're using those states uh, or those stores in your application as well. So, as I said, it's quite code heavy. So we'll we'll certainly link it up uh, in in the show notes. Uh, but it's always nice to you know have that consistency across your application, and that way, you know, it's easier to go users.all rather than trying to remember the syntax to do axios.get slash users dot then response and then and you know you have to do all that processing each and every time so it's about simplifying all of that process and and letting you focus on on this the stuff that that you need to worry about but being able to tap into your vuex store having resource specific methods that simplify the common api calls are all sort of problems that that this approach solves so we'd be interested to hear you know your approaches if you've done something similar if you know if you've used this if you're interested in using that give us a shout on twitter one of the really nice things it does as well is instead of having to do a then and then a catch on every single one of these uh, it also handles kind of the hook into the error into error reporting like sentry or something Mm -hmm. like that so it will um it will kind of do that catch step for you so in a lot of his examples the, the base client that he's allowing you or kind of walking you through creating will handle all the catches for you uh, by using an interceptor, mm-hmm. I believe. And so all you have to do then is you just make create a client that acts almost as like a model, right? Where it almost, it feels very like eloquent-ish, yeah. right? Inside, inside your JavaScript. And then you just say users, client, find, pass the user ID. And then you just say, then you don't have to worry about doing a catch because your base client is going to handle all that yeah. for you. So it does, it just makes it really handy. It abstracts a lot of those things you have to do on a, on every request into a base client that will handle all that for you. So very cool. Thanks, Paul. The next thing that we've got here is a Laravel relationship events package, which is a package by Vyacheslav Ostrovsky and adds extra model relationship events. So where we've got events for create, created, creating, saved, saving, updated, updating, deleted, deleting, this also adds a whole lot of methods to has one, to belongs uh, to, belongs to, to has many, to has belongs to many, to morph one, morph two, you know, all of those relationship methods that, that don't currently have specific events that you can hook into. So say you wanted to hook into, you know, your has many is being saved or there's even functionality here to the associating 
or, or sync methods. If you wanted to ever hook into those relationship methods and perform some action. So one example that I've had through a through a package that I've got is people have, have mentioned that if I use sync, even though I have the the nullable fields trait on that relationship method or on that model, it doesn't fire when I call the sync method. And that's because there is no call to the saving or the saved method which the package relies on in order to function. So conceivably I could implement this package and then call you know whatever the the sync method is and hook into that and then apply the null conversion so i'm sure there are many other use cases that's one that came came to me off the top of my head Uh, but if there has ever been a situation where you're looking to sort of hook into events on model relationships this may be a, a package that you're worth looking out for absolutely Okay, another one that we have here is a package that's called Twine. So this is uh, the the kind of a subtitle that gives itself as string manipulation leveled up. So this is not at all a, like a Laravel specific package. This is just a PHP 7 package by Chris Kankiewicz. Chris Kankiewicz. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> that for that that was great and so this is for string manipulation in comparison the thing that it kind of offers as far as i can tell over kind of like the string support class that you get in laravel is number one you can just well i suppose that's not fair because you can pull the illuminate support string class into any package or into any uh laravel or non-laravel install mm-hmm. anyway right but this has a fluent syntax right so you can chain methods together on this which is pretty cool so you can say hey grab a substring of a a particular string pad it and then uppercase it and then you know whatever right so it allows you to kind of uh, manipulate the string using fluent syntax but then it also allows to do comparison methods uh, to verify a string in a number of different ways so you can have starts with ends with contains equals and sensitive match you can even encode string instances and generate hashes with this. You can do, uh, like, let's see, format method, which is uh, allows you to create multiple strings from the same formatted mm-hmm. text. So there's a lot of really interesting ones here. And I think the nice thing too is, you know, I, I'm, I feel bad for Taylor sometimes. For a while there, it was like, you know, string helpers were the only thing that was getting <laughs> pull requested to Laravel, it felt like. And so, you know, if you feel that urge to, you know, create a pull request for some sort of string function, Caleb Porzio, uh, you can now direct your urges to go do this, uh, or, you know, go put it on this one. So it's P-H-L-A-K slash twine, which is how you get to it in Composer. Flack slash twine. I just said swash twice in a row. I can't fix that. I can't fix that in post. You're on your own. (laughs) <laughs> I think I think most importantly, Fla- flax slash twine, flax slash twine. See, I almost did it too. Twine. I think most importantly with this, other than the the fluid interface, is that if you have ever used PHP's native string functions, you will find that oh, they're they're painful. they're painful. That um, not all of the the arguments are in the same order. This gives you a nice, consistent, yeah. and and I suppose expressive syntax, which which we love in Laravel. We love the expressive syntax. Absolutely. So you've got you know string, substring, string, pad, string, pad left, pad right, pad both, as as aliases to pad with like two or three arguments. So you know if you're doing a lot of string manipulation, this is is certainly looks like a good place to to look. Looks like a good place to look to start. Give it a give it a look. Flack slash twine. We will link it up in the show notes. 
Absolutely. Thank you for fixing that flax swash twine. <laughs> All right. We've got uh, two other things here, two other packages, and then we are out. So PHP 7 multi-format streaming parser and Laravel event projector released. Which one do you want I'll to take? I'll take the, the streaming parser. Okay. So if you have ever had to parse a document, maybe it was XML, maybe it was a large CSV file or, or things like that. Typically what you would do is you would, if you're lazy like me, use file get contents and then open that file. And what that will do is it will take the entire CSV document or the entire XML document, load it into memory, and then allow you to work with it. Now that works for, you know, smallish files, but once you get to larger files, we're talking about using quite a little bit of memory and who who is never in doing something like this hit a memory limit in in parsing those right. files so what this multi format streaming parser does is allows you to it basically puts a cursor into your file and allows you to iterate over the the objects or the attributes inside the XML or inside the CSV so it will process it line by line and it'll advance the pointer or the cursor after you process each one so, you know, you would go stream parser, colon, colon, XML, give it the endpoint, and then you can pass each. And that will give you a collection of users and you can and iterate over those users. And then you can dispatch, you know, jobs onto a queue to process it rather than doing it all in line, which, you know, helps deal with things. As I mentioned, the main one is dealing with memory. So I suppose, the as I said, the two main approaches when it comes to parsing XML documents specifically is DOM loading, where we're loading the entire document, which makes it easy to navigate and parse, but um, and, and gives you the most flexibility, but it does give you those memory issues. Uh, or there is streaming, which basically allows you to iterate through the document and it stops at each element on the way, avoiding those memory issues. So, you know, if you've ever hit those memory limits, like myself, uh, probably what you've done is just increase the memory limit until those problems go away. In, in your PHP process. But obviously, if you're not controlling the XML, that problem is only going to be held off for so long. So it's it's better to work uh, smarter in those situations. And, and streaming processing is probably a good way of looking at that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it, that would be particularly useful in my line of business um, where we're dealing with large sets of client data. And yeah, we've had to deal with these sorts of memory overflow issues. And so as a result, pretty much what happens is we just like crank the memory on, yeah. you know, on our yeah. PHP installs to like the or, max and just... Or just throw any set memory limit minus one at the top of your script. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> like that. And say like, hey, you can't That's run right. out of memory. There's no such thing. And so the computer just blue screens and then you try and figure out what's That's going right. on with that. Yeah. yeah, beautiful. Fun times, fun times. So anyway, this seems like a good good solution, much better solution than, than the one that we have in, uh, mm-hmm. currently. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk then about the Laravel event projector. So this is uh, Frank Vanderhurten and the Spassi crew have been working on this for a while. So this, there was an article that came out about this a while back, but they're now in their first stable version. So version 1.0.0 is now live. So really what this hopes to do is it'll, it's this is a very simplified... I'm going to say that I don't want to be insulting, but I believe this is a great way to get started with event sourcing. That really is what it's trying to do is it's trying to take the event sourcing pattern and bring you a nice, simple way to Mm -hmm. do that. 
So let me give you, in, in case you haven't heard of event sourcing, I'm going to give you a very, very brief overview of what it is here. Uh, so it's instead of storing just the current state of the data in a domain, you essentially have an append-only store to record all of the actions that have ever been taken on the data in your application. So it acts sort of like a record that can then materialize or build up your domain objects. So prove your performance if you have a lot of these things that are going on at the same time. Uh, it also provides like uh, auditability, right? Like you have a full yeah. paper trail, if you will, uh, in history of all of the actions that have ever happened to all of your objects. So there is a there is an article that's linked to in the in the um, blog post here that's really uh, informative, but. Spassi tries to take all of that and distill it down to kind of its most important pieces. And what they, the, how they describe it in their, in their post is that event sourcing is to data what Git is to code. So the problem that we have is a lot of times our applications only have their current state and it's just stored mm -hmm. in the database and that's all you have, right? So some of the solutions that we've come up with is we say like, okay, well, we're going to log like freaking everything or we're going to have like a history uh, of the state of the data, which is, that's fine. But you lose something yeah. when you do that because you only have the pieces that you've yeah. stored, right? So at the at the end of this, I'll kind of like share one of the big benefits of it. But basic event sourcing in Laravel allows us allows us to do this. So um, we have these events that we're firing now from models, uh, and these events uh, are implementing a specific class that is brought in with a package called should be stored. So you pass through to these events, uh, the pieces of information that you need. And then you have these projector classes that will listen for these events to be fired. And then those are what's actually making a side effects, I suppose is what you'd call them, right? They're yeah. being persisted to the database. So they're somehow changing something in your system. You also have another sort of uh, idea represented in here, which is called reactors, I think, uh, which would be where you would do something like send an email, yep. right? Uh, so the one, one of the huge benefits that you get here is that you can write projectors after events have happened. So imagine that you have a bank uh, and somebody at the bank wants to have a report of the average balances of each account. Well, you can write a new projector replay all the events that have happened and now you have a new database representation of all of those things so you can just kind of pull off the specific things that you're interested in and you can get that after yeah. the fact because you're not just storing the current state you're storing all of the actions that have happened up to that point so you can just say hey replay all the events for this specific account from this date to this date and tell me what information i need to know so that's the huge benefit that you get is the data is available forever all the things that have ever happened are still available so you can build new domain objects off of events that have happened in the past so there's some really cool stuff that article that i referenced kind of at the top of this shares not only places where this pattern is appropriate but other situations where it's not useful so certainly this is not something you would use on every project yeah. but for projects where it makes sense, uh, this new package that Spassi has released mm -hmm. makes it yeah. trivial to implement this pattern, uh, or at least a subset of the pattern in, in some of the best the, pieces the of core it, pieces, say. yeah. And I suppose a couple of places that always spring to mind for me where event sourcing is really, really useful, finance and insurance, where yeah. you know auditability yeah. and, and trackability and all that kind of stuff is really important. And you need to know, you know, where everything was at a given time. Uh, I, I know that you and I have talked about it. I don't know if it was on, I, I assume it was on our other podcast where, you know, we yes, have, was, yeah. I had to come up with financial reports 
and compare last financial year to this financial year. Well, that's really difficult if you don't have, you know, as you say, being able to go back and say, replay all of the events up to this point would be much easier than like going back and trying to query and like time boxing things and and hoping that you've got all the information to actually provide that information back to the business. So yeah, one of the tricky things, I mean, adding this stuff in retrospectively probably doesn't work, but um, certainly being able to, if you know that you're working in finance, which, uh, uh, you know, you don't accidentally find six months into a project that you're working with finance, um, or insurance or anything like that. So if it's something right. that you think about, and this is also a scale thing, like if you started somewhere where, you know, you weren't sure if it was going to continue or you, or you weren't aware of those kind of needs upfront, which is entirely possible. You know, small businesses start out with, let's just get money in the door. They don't think too much about reporting or tracking growth and trends and things like that. You know, but if if you're in a position now where you need to do that, well, you know, it's easy enough to, to build that functionality on um, and certainly this package would make things easier because you know event sourcing is something that has come and gone throughout my time in in the laravel community in the last five or so years and, and making it really simple and understanding when it might be useful is is not necessarily a bad thing yeah yep and i was going to say that that's kind of the trick about this is is by the time you realize you need it if you haven't been doing it it's like too yeah. late <laughs> Which is kind of like, I suppose, what some of the proponents of event uh, sourcing would say. It's like, hey, you should always be using event sourcing because you never know when you're going to need it. That's which, you know, yeah, I sort of get it. But it's not appropriate for every situation. Uh, There are certain situations where it's much more appropriate. Uh, Any any highly regulated industry, you're going to where you're going to have to be able to prove that something happened or didn't happen. It's going to be really important, which is pretty much what I do. I a certainly lot. won't so, be rewriting my blog yeah. post to use event sourcing. That's for sure. And uh, my blog, you know, my my blog <laughs> engine. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter. Right. Yep. Cool. Well, I think that is that everything. is all of the things. Um, yeah. So many amazing community contributions. Actually, you know what? We did forget one thing. There was some stuff that what what is that one that was like events coming up in July, and then of course we have Laracon yes. coming up. The next time um, we speak, the next time you and I here. speak, will be after I miss out on Laracon US, um, and the FOMO is already setting in. I'm already I'm already yeah. starting to miss not hanging out with all of my wonderful Laravel friends. I'm gonna miss the talks. I'm gonna miss being in Chicago again because that was a lot of fun last year. So to all of those of you who are traveling, who are going to be at Laracon, enjoy yourselves, enjoy the talks, learn a lot. But most importantly, make sure you interact with the other artisans that attend. That The, the hallway track, they call it, is, is the best part of the conference, really. Meeting other people like yourself, making great new friends, learning about what they're doing, learning new things. Whilst this is going to happen while you are taking in the talks for many people, the friends and and the knowledge that you share with those people outside of the the lecture theater are, are probably some of the most valuable experiences that I've had at not only Laracon but any conference that I've attended. So, yeah, that's happening on the twenty fourth and the twenty fifth, I think, of July. Twenty fifth, twenty sixth. Yep, twenty fifth, twenty sixth. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, to everyone attending, enjoy yourself. To you, Jake, enjoy yourself. Thanks, man. Uh, and, Appreciate uh, it. Yeah. I look forward to hearing all the stories. I can't wait to to hear about when uh, that comes out. So yeah, <laughs> uh, it should be fun. We we will definitely miss having you there, my friend. It's been awesome having you the last mm. two years. There will be a hole for sure to be filled. 
And I don't think we'll have any Aussie. Aussie well, maybe. maybe. Maybe Ben Corlett. Maybe. maybe. Yeah. So anyway. All right, everyone. Well, I look forward to seeing you all at Laracon. And uh, don't be a stranger. Come say hello. And I will pass on any greetings I get mm. to Michael as well. Excellent. Awesome. This is episode 65. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. If you like the show, please feel free to rate it up five stars in your podcatcher of choice. It's always very much appreciated. If you have any questions, of course, reach out to us on Twitter at our Twitter accounts at Jacob Bennett, at Michael Dorinda, or at Laravel News. Show notes for this episode at laravel-news.com slash podcast slash 65. Beautiful. You almost had me there. You almost. almost tricked me. Hey, to anyone who does listen to the show in... Overcast or Pocket Cast, or if you're using the iOS 12 beta and you are using the Apple Podcast app, let me know what you thought of the chapter markers and that kind of stuff that we put out in the last episode. That was thanks to Marco Arment for who who writes uh, Overcast, who wrote a little application to make putting those chapter markers in nice and easy. Um, hopefully, it makes discoverability of specific content in our episodes much easier going forward. I'm really looking forward to using that. Yeah, I'm going to have to install iOS 12 just to do it. So, Or Overcast, yeah, I suppose, right? probably <laughs> the safer option. <laughs> All right. All right, everybody. Thank you again. We will see you in a couple weeks. I will see you on the 25th, yeah. hopefully. All the best. All right. See you. Bye, everybody. Bye.